Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Twenty-five years ago this week, Chicago experienced record-breaking heat. It's hot. It's hot. I know. It's very hot. It's, yesterday we broke all records. I hope we don't broke records. I mean, we all have our little problems, but let's not vote out of proportion. We had an extraordinary number of deaths from the field when the ambulances call us for medical control um, and pronounced many patients dead in the driveway over these few days. The most devastating impact of the heat can be seen at the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office. Seven refrigerated trucks are in the back parking lot handling the overflow of bodies caused by a record number of deaths. Could the city have moved in a more dynamic way and declared a state of emergency? No, I think that the... Your nose is very quick. No. Yes. When the consecutive days of 100 degree heat subsided, Chicago saw 739 deaths from heat-related illness. The most casualties from a heat wave in American history. At the time, public health officials were stumped. Why did this heat wave kill more than normal? Scientists blamed a perfect storm of weather conditions. Politicians and city leaders blamed families for not checking in with their elders. And most Chicagoans, well, we just chalked it up to being hot. It wasn't until some years later that the true reason came out, race and inequality. All this week, we look back at the tragic events of the week of July 12, 1995, and explore what lessons were learned that could inform how we respond to public health crises like COVID-19 today. We start our series with a voice that helped amplify the root causes of why 739 people died from the heat. Sociologist Eric Kleinenberg is author of the 2002 book, Heat Wave, A Social Autopsy of Disaster in Chicago. And he joins me now. Eric, welcome back to Reset. Hey, it's uh, it's good to be here. I wish it were for another reason, yeah. but uh, this is a conversation, unfortunately, we still have to have. Well, so I, I remember well, I was producing the time when you when the, your book came through and we had this conversation. This was in 2002, and you talked to Steve Edwards at 848 about it, but there really was, at the time, it was almost like a revisionist history. The way that people saw the heat wave is just like Mayor Daly said, it's hot. It's an extreme city. We have extreme temperatures. It's hot. You know, I'm from Chicago. I grew up in the city. I finished the book when I was teaching at Northwestern. Um, I mean, I, I feel the city in my blood the way so many people listening to the show right now do. And I wrote the book because I was so puzzled by what happened. I mean, when I heard people discussing the event in Chicago, the story of the heat wave didn't make a lot of sense. Hundreds of people in the city of great neighborhoods dying and dying alone in many cases uh, because of something we seem to experience all the time. And then also this idea that so many people in the city had, like maybe we were blowing it out of proportion, as Mayor Daly said at the time, or, you know, there was this question of whether it was really real. And I was so puzzled by it, I, I had to learn so more in years working on the book, precisely as you said, to try to change the conversation. And, you know, what I came away uh, understanding is that this is not a, a natural disaster. This is a disaster of our own making that had everything to do with race and inequality and isolation and things that still plague Chicago today. Well, let's go back to that week 25 years ago. Uh, You know, you watch the media reports, even here at WBEZ, the stories are really about people stocking up on air conditioners and fans, that it's going to be hot. It was a weather story that really became the the front page news. Uh, Walk us through what happened in those historic five days in July. Well, you know, this heat system was 
announced. You know, people, meteorologists saw it coming and they warned that it could be dangerous. And, you know, if you think for a second about what happens when a hurricane is coming towards a city, you know, we stop the regular news programming. We have these color-coded maps. Everyone braces for the storm. Political officials, if they're away, come back to manage the crisis. We don't do that with heat. And so as the heat was approaching Chicago, uh, you know, meteorologists were frying eggs on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. News reporters were telling stories of uh, air conditioning selling out in appliance stores. The mayor, the health commissioner, the fire commissioner, they were all on vacation and they stayed there. And you know, no one issued an alert. And when the heat settled into Chicago, I mean, the heat index was 126. The wow. temperature was 106. This is, this is not ordinary stuff. People turned on their air conditioning. The power went out uh, for a couple of days. Water was out in some neighborhoods. You can't pump water into high-rise buildings. Thousands of people were getting sick uh, and going to the emergency rooms. You know, Justin, a lot of people don't remember about half of the hospitals in Chicago had to close the doors and couldn't take more emergency Bypass, patients. Bypass, right, right. Exactly. And, and, you know, I have to tell you, these last few months, watching the COVID-19 pandemic play out in a very similar pattern, right? The announcement comes, political officials ignore the warning, dismiss them, question whether the thing is really real, the hospitals fill up. I mean, the the inequality plays out along the same lines. It's been horrible for me to see it. But just to go back to 95 for a minute, you know, what really changed the debate in Chicago is Edmund Donahue, who was the the medical examiner at the time, started to issue public reports. uh, This number of people died today. This number of people died today. And the numbers were startling. And Mayor Daley reacted very badly to those reports. He did. He thought that this was a guy who was politicizing the story. I mean, again, think about the moment we're in right now with COVID, right? Like scientists saying, this is really dangerous. People are dying. And Trump saying, no, 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 no. This is just the flu. It's not a big deal. I mean, it was a very similar. Similar, yeah. And it's amazing, too, because even to the point where Daley pushed back saying, you can't blame all this on the heat. Someone has a heart attack. It's not about the heat. I mean, it's very similar to the kind of things politicians are doing today. I mean, it's it's haunting. Uh, it's like there's a playbook that we started in Chicago, uh, and here it is on the national stage. But in the city, what it, what it meant in '95 is that instead of getting every city agency activated, calling in extra paramedics, sending additional resources to the hospital, getting police officers doing community policing work, knocking on doors, we were kind of acting business as usual. And there was a debate that was really like a public relations debate over. Um, whether the thing was really real rather than an urgent public health crisis. And then it was too late. Then suddenly there were so many bodies came to the morgue that there were nine or 10 48-foot refrigerated trucks that, you know, went right to the Cook Mm -hmm. County morgue. It was overwhelming. And by the end of the week, you know, 739 people in excess of the norm died. This really stands as one of the major events in the history of Chicago. And I know we talk about it much more than we used to. Um, I think Chicago thinks a lot about how dangerous the heat wave can be. But the underlying issues about race and isolation and neighborhood inequality, those obviously remain all to this still day. There, yeah. Eric Leinenberg's with us. He wrote the book back in 2002, Heat Wave, A Social Autopsy of Disaster in Chicago. Because at the time in 1995, it started out, and I I remember and reading the book as well and and watching the documentary, Cooked, which came out uh, last year or the year before. It's going to be aired tonight on TBS. Yeah, it's going to be on TBS. They're putting it out because of the COVID connection and how significant these issues are that, you know, PBS is rebroadcasting. It's yeah, I just, people watch. It's a great, great I film. I did. I watched it last night. It was, it's on Amazon as well. It's amazing, though, to think about 
there and there's a great quote that Daly has where he kind of chuckles about how extreme Chicago is. We, that's why we love it. And he laughs it off. In the first couple of days, he's laughing it off, just like you laugh off any kind of story that has to do with weather. And it wasn't until uh, Donahue and the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office and, and the story started to switch that people were dying from this. Take us to that moment, because it really became stark in the way that the messaging changed. Well, you know, you're, you're right. There is a sense that it always gets hot in Chicago. And as a Chicagoan, I understood what Daly was saying. I mean, we are a big, great city. We, we love to be the biggest, um, <laughs> even when we're not. Uh, we say we are. And so I understood that idea. But it was like the city was not registering just how consequential this event was, just how much of a major health crisis it was. And it's true that the bodies themselves showing up at the morgue didn't do it. But when the Donahue continued on insisting that these were really heat deaths and, and, and people started to focus on what was happening, the narrative did change. Mm-hmm. And then the interesting thing happened is that the city kind of conceded that people were dying, but the reporting got really odd, Justin. And, and I still think this has made it difficult for Chicago to reckon with what happened. The Tribune published the story saying, now, the big headline was casualties of heat, just like most of us. The subheading under that said, many rejected any kind of help. And so then when, once we recognized the deaths, the story became, oh, this was an equal opportunity killer. And by the way, the people who died, it's their fault that they died. Yeah. And you saw Mayor Daley get angry at Chicago. He got angry in a couple of clips where he said, uh, check on your families, your aunts, your uncles, your parents. Essentially, this is on you for isolating uh, the elderly. Rarely talked about, I don't think he ever did, the racial disparities and equities in the city and how this was affecting primarily uh, black people. I mean, this really was. I mean, even black and brown, I would say, but the Latino population didn't see the same kind of reflection. But when you look at the South and West Side, and and that's what the documentary that's airing on TTW is about and your book, it shows the racial disparities of the city on full display. You know, it's like so much else in Chicago. Everybody in Chicago knows that the city's organized around racial inequality and segregation. It's the structure of the city that we've created. And it just often goes unremarked upon, I think, especially in white communities. You know, it's as if it's a natural part of the world and doesn't need to be commented upon or it's too painful to comment upon because it means that we're all implicated in it. So, you know, do I think it's Mayor Daley's fault that so many people died in the heat wave? Not exactly. I mean, the city could have done a lot more to save lives. You know, they they didn't declare a heat emergency until it was far too late. I mean, the policy response uh, was horribly neglectful. I mean, you know, for people who are concerned about what Trump is doing right now, uh, the dress rehearsal was in Chicago. Um, So clearly, Daley could have done more. But when I wrote my book, I, I became convinced that everyone in Chicago is implicated in this event because we created a city, we have sustained a city that is massively vulnerable for far too many people. And basically, most of us in Chicago just let that order go. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're fine with that. And the city has failed to treat the emergency, the slow motion emergency of racial segregation, of inequality, uh, of isolation with the seriousness that it deserves. So my book was about the heat wave, but it really is a book about the structure of Chicago. And that's why I think today, as we find ourselves in the midst of this horrible pandemic, and now with the climate change and the heat coming, uh, you know, the underlying issues that make certain people in Chicago, certain places in Chicago vulnerable, they're still there. There was a moment, Eric, where Chicago could have 
set the agenda for the future. And that was a task force that was put together after the fact to write a, a report on what happened. And in that report, it was startling in your book and also subsequently in the documentary, but it was startling how they really almost buried what we're talking about, the racial inequities and, and the disparities were buried. Really, it was about meteorologists saying, wow, when you have these three things come together, anything can happen. Almost like you were saying, like it's equal opportunity killer. I mean, look, they buried a lot more than that. I mean, first of all, you need to know that the, the city council in Chicago refused to hold public hearings. So 739 people died in a week. The city had totally bungled the policy response. Everyone's implicated. The city council refused to hold public hearings. I mean, think about that first. Next, the mayor held, you know, organized his own commission. And what did they bury? When they published the report, it did not have the words heat wave on the cover. So the title does not include heat wave. And there's a snowflake. There's a picture of a yeah, snowflake right, right. on the image of this report. You know, it was a report that was designed to hide everything inside of it. And then once you got, so nobody noticed it, uh, by the way, and more on media, you know, when the, when the city council voted not to have hearings, because some people had proposed it, it was kind of buried on the inside of the metro section that the news that there was going to be no hearing was next to a news about some kind of dog leash law or something like that. So I mean, it was just very hard for people to process what had happened. And um, what I have found is that the city lost its opportunity to really learn something from that week. Yeah. Eric Kleinberg's our guest here today. You know, he's the author of Heat Wave, A Social Autopsy of Disaster in Chicago, uh, which he published in 2002. When you think about what's happening now with COVID-19 and the lessons learned from the heat wave, what's the connection to you? Because we talked about throughout this interview, just the idea of you can see it all kind of playing out again. But is there at least improvements when it comes to city awareness, to uh, preparations, to understanding that racial disparities are should be top of mind when it comes to these kind of pandemics or natural disasters? I mean, look, the city is very good on heat waves specifically. You know, when, that, when a heat emergency comes, people know about it. When it comes to the underlying vulnerabilities, it is in our vocabulary. I mean, Mayor Lightfoot understands this issue very well and has been a leader on some of them. Uh, it's not as if we don't say it. I'm just not persuaded that when it comes to actually committing resources to setting a policy agenda, pushing for change, the city is putting its money where its mouth is. Uh, we haven't done that for a very long time. And it's very easy to talk about these things. It's very easy for me to take a public position that I'm against racism and I'm for social justice, whether it's in general or in the city of Chicago. It is very hard to actually change the way you govern and allocate resources to do something about it. Yeah. And I guess one of the things I'm seeing is COVID-19 hit Chicago and other cities like it is the most predictable patterns about race and inequality and vulnerability are playing out once again. And they're playing out because as much as we can talk about this stuff, if we don't commit resources and change the way we organize our neighborhoods, the level of uh, protection that we provide for vulnerable people, improve the quality of healthcare, all these things, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a situation in crisis after crisis. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether the trigger is the weather or whether it's a novel coronavirus. Well, you, you had a piece in the New York Times recently about the idea of isolation and social solidarity. This concept of, of a lot of what happened with the heat wave was about people being isolated. And yet here we are in COVID-19 where the instruction is to isolate. And how do we kind of wrap our heads around that? Well, what I said there is that 
you know, the story that we got immediately with the pandemic was we need social distancing, right? Social distancing is what was going to keep us alive. And I thought, God, that's exactly the wrong message. Like, there's <laughs> never been a time when we need to look after each other and be socially connected, right? It's not social proximity that puts people at risk of getting coronavirus. It's physical proximity. You don't want someone breathing and coughing and sneezing on you. But if you're socially close to them, if you're checking in on people in your life, if you're finding out what you can do to help, dropping off groceries or medical supplies, you know, attending to one another uh, in the short term, that's exactly what we need to do. It's social solidarity that helps us consider the fate of our neighbors and people around us. It, that's what makes us decide to put a mask on and to wash our hands and to stay home when we're feeling sick, which right. is the kind of behavior that we're not seeing enough of in the United States. So when we act as if the only thing that matters is our individual freedom, right? what I can do, what I have the right to do, and we neglect our responsibilities to each other, and I fear, Justin, that that's what's happening around the country right now. I mean, Chicago's better than a lot of places, but I'm in New York. We, we had a really tough run here. Uh, it's just going to take a, a huge amount of vigilance to keep things down here and to get things down around the country. And you can't do that if your priority is social distance. You can only do it if your priority is looking out for each other. And that's solidarity yeah. and cooperation. Sarah Kleinenberg, he's a sociologist and author of Heat Wave, A Social Autopsy of Disaster in Chicago, written in 2002. Really the definitive book on, on the heat wave. Check it out if you can. Eric, thanks so much for joining us and kicking off the week this week. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm so glad you're doing this week. And uh, to everyone in Chicago, I wish you uh, good, good health and the best of luck. That's it for Reset today. Thanks for listening. I'm Justin Kaufman, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.